Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Outkick 360 is back alongside Chad Withrow. I'm Jonathan Hutton. Glad you're with us. PK is going to uh, check in from Tampa Bay in just a matter of minutes as we broadcast live from 6th and Peabody Studios, downtown Nashville with Yeehaw Brewery, Old Smoky Distillery. The place will be hopping here in a matter of minutes as they open the doors and go into the weekend. You can join us here for lunch anytime you're in town in the downtown area here every single day, broadcasting live right in the heart of Music City. David Reed and Jakob Swanson making the show happen for us today. Ellie Sylvia, our production assistant. Shout out to Becca Risley and Sleepy Danny, ending the week strong down the hall for our OutKick network. And if you're listening in Knoxville on the radio, we give you a shout out for that. Also, uh, speaking of Knoxville, Tennessee Power Hour today with the VolQuest guys, Austin Price, Brent Hubs. A lot to discuss as they're 13 days away from kickoff. That will be coming up in an hour. We'll check in with Paul momentarily as, Chad, we get ready for preseason game number two with the Titans. We'll preview that later this hour. Titans and Buccaneers tomorrow evening. Uh, but quite possibly the greatest thing we've ever seen all, all week, maybe in the history of the show here at 6th and Peabody, was a photo that David Reed sent us last night. Well, there's a definite weekend Friday vibe here at Old Smoky Yeehaw today as we get ready for the show. I'm walking in, walking through the main dining room area into the gift shop, and one of the employees here informs me that there's cookies in the break room <laughs> for employees. I've never felt more welcome in my time here, in this my short home. two weeks it's official. at 6th and Peabody until I was alerted of the cookies in the break room as I was getting a free drink from the soft drink machine. And it really warmed my heart. It felt great. There's high school football uh, in Tennessee and all over the country starting today also. That makes me feel great. But what really puts me into a weekend Friday mood was this photo of one David Reed in his softball excellence. So this was Wednesday night, and I completely forgot to ask Reed about this yesterday. Uh, he played in a celebrity softball game last week, or excuse me, this past week, uh, on Wednesday, two days ago. And, you know, Paul has a photo of Simon making a similar catch uh, in the infield that's fantastic. And now here is the glorious silhouette and just body of David Reed, inches off the ground, which I didn't think could ever happen again. Inches off the ground, skying for uh, a, a line drive. You put plural after inch? One inch off the ground. Okay. 
Um, sky as high as. Wait a minute. Wait. The, Go the, ahead. There's at least that's six inches, right? I can't even tell. Reed, I'm going to be honest with you. This is a glorious picture. I don't think you're off the ground completely. <laughs> like, I, I, this is. It looks to me like your toes are still on the turf. No, he's he's no no. Look where the first base is. Yeah, I'm he's, playing he's, first he's, base. Oh, okay. He's hovering yeah. above first See, base. See now the way I'm looking at this. Uh, this is the first time I saw. Well, there's so much to unpack. In oh, this there's photo. like an optical illusion. Yeah. Well, there's so much to unpack because I never even noticed first base in the photo when I stared. <laughs> at it last night. Chad always skips first base. I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Touche. I thought he was in the outfield. Or I thought that it looked to me like he was always catching like a line drive in in short center or something in this. I didn't didn't realize I thought it was a line drive as well as I saw this. Now I see it's just a bad throw from Joe Dubin. No, he's jumping. Yes. Uh, I don't, I can't remember what, what this was in. I don't remember this play at all. And you played you played in the celebrity softball game here locally in a downpour on Wednesday. It rained, and it rained a lot. Yeah, it rained a lot, but we were able to get in. By the way, this photo is from uh, Rick Murray, memoriesbymurray.com, if you need any uh, Rick's a photography. Good yeah, he's a great guy. You'll probably you, A lot of folks have seen him out at local high school games and covering athletics around Sumner County in the mid-state, but uh, it was a pretty – steady downpour but it was i mean it was fun raising money for the humane society of sumner county and playing in the rain like kids all over again how'd you do you know here's this is the first time i've done in play ball in three years and that's three years two back surgeries and a car wreck later i didn't embarrass myself and i'm, I'm trying to talk myself out of trying to play ever again uh because the, the last time that i actually played in like a game that counted it was uh, a tournament game and i hit three home runs that game. My last at bat was a home run and my favorite bat broke. So that to me is almost like the Hollywood ending. So I don't know, know that's how really go. To, I don't know if I ever really need to play competitively again, but but I did I didn't wake up too sore the next day, so I'm still I'm trying my mind's trying to talk my body into into playing again. It was almost that. like a Roy Hobbs natural ending to the last your last stint as a slow pitch softball player. Almost, the way you yeah. describe it. So I yeah, it's it's I'm hard pressed. I did hit the scoreboard. I didn't hit the lights. I hit the you scoreboard. should coach. You should move into management. <laughs> Front office? Yeah. Maybe not even a managerial position. I don't know if your body could h- handle uh, all that time standing in a dugout. All-time catch. You need like a front office position where you're calling all the shots. No, I can get one of those little uh, chairs that you pop up if you're on wait in line for a long time, and I can coach third. So randomly today, Jacob, I have one request, if you don't mind. Uh, if you go back to that shot, you can see the windows behind the production set here uh, at, at 6th and Peabody. Today is going to be a busy day where we have uh, bachelorette parties yes. that are downtown. Uh, we, will, we have uh, random people that walk by. This is mirrored glass. So we can see out. They cannot see in. They see a reflection of themselves prior to going into the main entrance here at uh, 6th and Peabody. Which is so. also a great metaphor for this show. You listen or you watch and you get kind of a reflection of yourself <laughs> based on your reaction to what we're saying. <laughs> so, Jacob, if you, if you notice anything happening, for instance, there was, a, there was an older gentleman who came up behind both of them earlier this week and was shaving in that mirrored glass. Uh, if that happens, flip to that camera angle immediately if you don't mind. Uh, Jacob, who has dined at the same restaurant... That's one Paul Koharski. 
well, did we, in Tampa. We've got a, gr- a bunch of great segues to get to Paul here yes. while he's in Tampa. Not only has Jacob Swanson actually dined at the same place Paul dined at last night, even though Paul refused to believe that a man of Jacob Swanson's <laughs> stature would be admitted into such a fine establishment. Well, I mean, it's a it's a good assumption. I mean, but I also would have bet against it too. I also want to say David Reed did a great job of pointing out the photographer of that terrific photo of him playing softball, <laughs> which you should give credit and you should name names for someone who does work. Paul also did a good job of naming George Walker in the photo yesterday of the Tennessean with that great shot of Antonio Brown punching the face of Chris Jackson. But yet a week ago, (laughs) when this show is in a big dust-up with numerous people about, you know, just simply saying the name of someone that you're quoting a tweet of, when it becomes a story and it gives you content. No one seemed to care. Just silence. I see all of Nashville media coming to bat for George Walker and saying, you better be giving him credit, Tampa. You better be giving him credit for this photo and his work, which I agree with, by the way. I have no problem with it. But a week ago when we had the same argument. Crickets. It was crickets. Interesting. Paul joins Paul, us. Why, why, to quote someone else, why do you think that is? <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, it's it's either insensitive or sensitive. I don't know which. Uh, I mean, it's not exactly the same. I mean, it, that's George's work being credited. It wasn't. Well, that's your me. work. I, I, that's your work. Your well, work is to make observations and to tweet about them and to talk about them on this show. And you write about them at paulkarski.com. You made an observation at camp with your photo saying that Josh Reynolds wasn't explosive and it became, sorry, video, even worse for them. It became a a big story because uh, because Antonio Brown, because A.J. Brown took issue with it and then people were let off the hook who were given orders not to say her name. It's the same thing. I get that George Walker, that's his art. That's what he does is take photos like that and it was a great photo and he deserves every bit of credit. This is what you do. You're an opinionist. You make observations. You made an observation on your Twitter account. It became a big story because of someone else who retweeted it. But yet, when we bring this to light, it's crickets from everyone else. I, I don't think it warrants. I, I mean, you're right. It's it's <laughs> hypocritical BS. I, I, we've we've covered it pretty thoroughly. It's interesting that it comes up again, and here's an example of how it goes two ways. Part of it's that people don't like me, uh, and George Walker's much more likable figure. Part of it's that we left a radio station that's, uh, you know, just intent on not mentioning us ever again as if we don't exist. Um, and I don't know what the other part of it is, but, you know, it's inconsistent to say the least. Can we circle back to Reed for a second? Sure. Oh, yeah, oh, I, wasn't yeah. par- par- I wasn't part of the unpacking here. Um, uh, I-, I wanted to see what's up with this. Um, I-, I think this will come out. He's got two different color shoes on here. Which is uh, very interesting. Reed, you talk about your wardrobe choice. Also, I want to know your batting stats. Like, what was your OPS in this game? And yeah, he, he conveniently did not mention his batting appearances at the plate. He said um, he hit the scoreboard. But what else did you hit? A lot of air? No, I hit the scoreboard in my last game. I played competitively. Those are <laughs> actually matched pair of shoes. They're supposed to look like that. They're patriotic, Paul. You wouldn't know anything about that, actually. <laughs> so that's the way those are sold. Uh, and I was two for three, a single and a double. So and you had, small, you had the red and the blue cleats. And a small little dribble that I didn't leg out. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I, I guess I is if it's not... If you have, 
if it's not getting past the info infield, Paul, he's not running it out. Yes, of course not. Nor should he. I, I, I don't want to see him <laughs> hospitalized again. The guy spends far too much time in the You're hospital. Right. You're right. Um, yeah, that's excellent. I love the shoes. I thought they, they're cool. I don't want Simon to see this or he's going to want a pair immediately. And uh, we'll, we'll move on from that. <laughs> one, one, other, one other quick point, because I just cannot let this die until I say these last two things about the names. Go on. Um, Paul, you were let go, not renewed your contract by ESPN. Doesn't prevent us from naming ESPN reporters when they're creating content for our show. Has never stopped you from doing so. And not liking someone is not an excuse to no, not say no. their name. Period. And ES- There's plenty ESPN of people in media I don't me. like that if they do something we're talking about, I'm going to say their name. I hate Dan Wolken. Right. But the next time Dan Wolken breaks news, which may be never, I'm going to announce the name of Dan Wolken on the show or that he did. Fora. It. Lock and Fora as well. Exactly. Anyway. And ESPN, ESPN which didn't renew my contract, names me when, when it's warranted. Something else you said that was false uh, earlier here about Jacob Swanson. You said that I didn't believe that he was led into the Columbia restaurant. When actually in the uh, pregame show, I said I welcomed him to Columbia University. I oh. want Jacob in all the Columbia. Oh, I didn't hear that part. I didn't hear that part. I, I, yes. I, he was I welcomed asking, him to Columbia University. He was asking the spelling of the restaurant you went to last night in Tampa because he thought he had been there. I didn't, I didn't buy it. Um, and then as you went off, we had about a minute before we went live, he said, oh, I've actually dined at the same spot. Uh, Jacob, what did you have? You you said you you had a delicious uh, mimosa. Uh, 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 Is that it? He's he's showing mojito. Is that the restaurant that you're seeing on the screen? Oh yeah. Oh wow. Wined and dined, Jacob Swanson and does, Paul Koharski. Paul, does Columbia have a good film school? I feel like Jacob Swanson could be admitted yes. into Columbia's film school. I know Matthew Fox sure. attended Columbia. We've got it all. Matthew Fox wasn't uh, wasn't about film at that time. He was about some some <laughs> other thing. Uh, excuse me, I got hurt his nose. I got a little. Yeah. I got the sniffles. Yeah. <laughs> Hit us up on Twitter at Outkick360. You can also follow us, uh, and and we hope that you'll subscribe on the YouTube channel. Uh, just search out Outkick360. You can watch us live there. By subscribing, you're automatically entered to win the Sony and Hertz Audison prize pack. We're stressing that this week because we're drawing a winner in 11 days. August the 31st is when we'll draw a winner for what you see on the screen. It's the full prize pack with Sony AX3000 car stereo with Apple CarPlay. Comes with a complete stereo system and the speaker system. Hertz Audison, the 520-watt amp the 400-watt powered sub box. You get it all. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Ring the bell to be alerted when we go live and post new content. And we draw one winner from our sub base. That's coming up on Tuesday, August 31st. Um, Paul, we have seen uh, nationally, the, the, what, 12 or so hours afterwards, the Antonio Brown punch to Chris Jackson has gone national. You see a fight like that, especially with the defending champions and with the star power of Antonio Brown, that's going to be a main headline. But uh, ultimately, nothing's going to come of this. You said Bruce Arians, you you sent us a, 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 a quick screenshot or a copy and paste of his quote to the media after the practice yesterday where he said, no, he's not going to be punished internally for punching Chris Jackson in practice. Yeah, it's pretty funny. And I, I think he said something to the contrary 
uh, if I'm not mistaken, leading into it, it he talked a big oh. game. Like if, <laughs> if stuff goes down, guys will feel wrath. Um, so, yeah, you know, Bruce Arians is such a uh, freewheeling talker. Um, I was out uh, last night at that dinner. Michael Kist, our, our friend, the winner of our one-time yeah. draft analyst competition, and John Ledyard. Um, who is with Pewter Report down here? Uh, great guys, and they they cover the Bucks on a regular basis. Uh, Ledyard in particular, and they were just talking about it, how loose Arians is with stuff. Like he went on a fan podcast for an hour, and he was on with Pewter Report, I think, for forty five minutes, and gave them like ten newsworthy items in forty five minutes. He's just so uh, he's a different kind of guy to to cover. Um, and and he's very of the moment, right? So uh, he's he's a f- uh, freewheeling. It's a different kind of thing to cover than uh, than Robinson and Vrabel, who have certainly have their qualities with the Titans, but are much more buttoned up. That the the, the whole fight process, the scuffles, whatever you want to call it, the the four that we had yesterday in practice. That is the mentality that Vrabel wants his team to have. I thought that they brought that, uh, not the fighting aspect, but the physical aspect, that mentality to Atlanta. And I'm curious if that carries over tomorrow night because they were the more physical team in every level of their depth chart last Friday. Now we get to see them against Tampa. Tampa's not going to play their starters. The Titans aren't going to play many of theirs either, I, I would expect. Nonetheless, that's the type of tone that Vrabel wants. And we've talked a lot about the guys who are missing, right? But that's something that you can work on and instill kind of in a team-wide way, no matter who's on the field. We're, we're going to be this tough team, and it doesn't matter if Derrick Henry's out there or not. We could be a tough team with Jeremy McNichols taking the handoffs and, uh, and picking up the blitz on third down and catching the passes. We could be we can have that characteristic no matter who's on the field. So that's something they can do and establish in the preseason regardless of the lineup. Coming up, we are off and rolling here on Outkick 360's Friday edition. Again, you can join us in the chat on YouTube or follow us and and tweet us at Outkick360 on Twitter. There is a Power 5 alliance to discuss uh, that we have been discussing for a couple of weeks now since the SEC expansion occurred. Uh, We'll get into that. Plus, there's a Power 5 school being investigated that had an awkward press conference, created an awkward press conference yesterday for the Cornhuskers. We get into that and Scott Frost coming up more with Paul from Tampa Bay as well. First, though, Aurora Nutriscience, a fantastic partner here with Outkick 360. Stay mentally sharp and healthy with Aurora. Aurora delivers your supplements where you need them the most your body. You're seeing vitalifescience.com right now on the screen where you can get more information. And our Outkick 360 season ticket holders, this is where you go to receive a 15% discount with the code OUTKICK360. Typical pills, capsules, not well absorbed. In fact, only absorbed in small, very small amounts. Your digestive system breaks down those pills until there's little left for your benefit. But here's Aurora, unique cutting-edge nutritional and absorbable supplements encapsulated in liposomes that ensure greater absorption to the body's bloodstream. Simple, easy-to-go grab-and-go packs. I've got brought some to show you here in studio. That Grab-and-go. I've got the vitamin C, the glutathione. I've got uh, vitamin D3 at the house as well. Grab-and-go in the morning. Uh, they don't 
taste bad at all. People have asked me about that. The vitamin C tastes like orange juice, for instance. Uh, and you see the 3,000 milligram per dose, you're getting the majority of that staying in your system, unlike a pill. Vitalifescience.com is the website. Go there, use the code OUTKICK360 for 15% off your order. Vitalifescience.com. Outkick 360 across the Outkick network. Alongside Chad Withrow, I'm Jonathan Hutton, Paul Koharski in Tampa Bay, where the Titans and Bucks will be playing in preseason game number two tomorrow night. Uh, two games, by my count, tonight uh, across the NFL for preseason action. Plenty of really good games across Major League Baseball. If you're not already signed up to FanDuel, we highly suggest you do that. You can place up to a $1,000 risk-free bet if you're a first-time user with your first bet with FanDuel.com slash OK360, follow the link on the screen. FanDuel.com slash OK360, risk-free first bet up to $1,000. Hutton, we had a tough luck loss on your parlay last night. I have the parlay today, Yep. and I will give you a quick sneak peek. I am taking your advice on come one, come all to Camden Yards yes. and take your wins. 13 straight losses, I think, now for 13. the Orioles. Well, I, I don't think 13 is unlucky for a, a win. they lost by five last night, I mean, or yesterday afternoon, rather. It is, uh, if you are a playoff hopeful, the Orioles will receive you. Uh, just leave the stadium intact. Don't burn it down on your way out. Take your wins and GTFO. That's, that's the motto. They get Max Freed in the Braves tonight. So that's a little teaser as to maybe one leg of a parlay later. (laughs) Yes, just keep that in mind as we unveil the parlay later. Um, Awkward press conference for Nebraska yesterday. You were telling me about this this morning with Scott Frost, uh, with with Trev Alberts, how Trev Alberts took the AD job not knowing about this situation. And they were both very candid and honest about the investigation and the reports out there. So, and I think it was uh, Mitch Sherman uh, of The Athletic, and I've read two articles about this. David Ubbin, which by the way, congrats to David Ubbin. He was Tennessee's beat writer. He's moved up to a national college football post now at The Athletic. Great writer. They both wrote pieces about this. So apologies if I misquote one or the other, but they compared it, and I watched it, and they're dead on. They compared the press conference yesterday. I wouldn't say press conference. There were some assistant coaches scheduled to speak, and while they were doing that, Trev Alberts, the new athletic director, walked over with his head coach, Scott Frost, and it had the appearance of dad taking his teenage son to the neighbor's house to apologize to the neighbor for doing something wrong when the son doesn't want to be there, and he's being forced to apologize. Scott Frost is a very surly, aloof character to begin with, but he spent the entire press conference with his arms folded and sort of looking down at the ground and looking towards the media members while Trev Alberts spoke about the NCAA violations. The things that came out of this, they didn't deny anything. They said everything that's been reported is true. There were violations that took place with NCAA COVID protocols and the workouts that were happening at Nebraska. There was also illegal use of analysts. Now, this gets into more of the Kevin Stallings territory You know, Kevin Stallings had an NCAA investigation at Pittsburgh. What he was doing wasn't that bad, but it was used in a way that kind of helped them in the firing of Kevin Stallings, who was an utter disaster as head coach at Pittsburgh. Because of his bias. He had an $8 million bias. And they've admitted to this. Scott Frost was basically paying analysts to coach the team. 
Analysts can't do on, they can't be on the field coaching. Right. There's restrictions with that. Only so many on field coaches. Instead of using an actual one of the, I think, nine or however many you get, nine or ten assistant coaches to coach special teams, he hired a guy away from Auburn that was their special teams coach to be a consultant working with special teams. And instead, they put him on the field to coach special teams. That's one of the, the violations. Um, but this immediately, and Dave Ubbin wrote about this, it strikes a lot of people as. This looks like Jeremy Pruitt at Tennessee. This looks like David Beatty at Kansas. I don't get the sense that this is the same thing because Tennessee knew they wanted to fire Pruitt, and then they launched this investigation. Everything with the NCAA just aided that process where now they can go back and claim, try to claim some of the, the buyout money from Pruitt. As I said yesterday, Nebraska wants Scott Frost to succeed. They want that more than anything else. Scott Frost's buyout is more than Jeremy Pruitt and David Beatty's at Kansas combined. $20 million just for Scott Frost. Tennessee, I think it's $18.5 million for Pruitt and the whole staff, which Jim Chaney has an enormous buyout too. So I don't think this is a, they're digging stuff up to try to get Scott Frost fired. But what it could be is if the worst case scenario happens this year, and 12 and 20 Scott Frost after three years fails again at Nebraska, and they have another miserable season in a pandemic stricken state economy in school. This could give them some leverage. It removes the doubt from Scott Frost. He gets no benefit of the doubt now, but it also helps them in maybe claiming some of that buyout money if they decide to move in a different direction. But again, I firmly believe Trev Alberts was brought in to find any way to keep Scott Frost. I think this is just in the back of their mind of, okay, maybe if everything goes wrong, this is something we can use to get some of the money back. And the other part of this, Hutton, is Trev Alberts admitted he didn't know about this investigation when he took the Nebraska job. He was told after he got the job, and this has been something going on for months. And the previous AD retired. Bill Moose. Unexpectedly. Well... At the time, it was he was going to retire at the end of next year, and they just found a way to speed it up. They like, sped he up the process. Okay, so let's, now we know there's more behind that because they were being investigated. Let's go a little deeper with this because if we rewound the storyline by 12 months, because part of this is they broke COVID protocol by the, the Big Ten restrictions. That, that's the way I'm reading into this. How much do this, does the Big Ten have to do with this, this investigation with the NCAA? Because Nebraska was very vocal about wanting to play college football starting in September of last year. That did not happen in the Big Ten. And so much so that they were willing to form their own independent schedule to go out and play. Scott Frost has said, and he, he has said publicly, that everything that the team did in COVID protocol was approved by his superiors and approved by the university and the health administration for the university. The university was behind the football program playing a full schedule last year, much like the SEC was able to accomplish. The Big Ten didn't like that, and they shot down their, their uh, option of, of not being affiliated with the Big Ten last year and playing their own independent schedule and trying to build that out. How much do you think behind the scenes the Big Ten looked into what Nebraska was doing? That is going to lead to them not getting any help from the Big Ten. I think the way they publicly tried to shame the Big Ten into playing football when the SEC made that decision is not going to help them with the other Big Ten members. I think, though, what happened here, Hutton, is a little bit of what happened with Donnie Tindall at Tennessee. I think you've got a disgruntled former employee 
Jonathan Rutledge was the coach from Auburn that was plucked away from Auburn to be the special teams analyst at Nebraska. He was fired after one year in January. He was contacted by The Athletic and Brett McMurphy, and he declined to comment on his role in this. Now, I'm no detective, but I'm thinking <laughs> if they've known about this for months yeah. and you've, got, you've basically got an illegal use of an analyst to be an on-field coach and he is fired and he is pissed off about that in Nebraska after one year, probably was made some promises to be elevated to an on-field position, a full-time position, didn't get that. Scott Frost cited that the lack of on-field contact because of COVID and with the team was one of the reasons he got fired. Would this guy be willing to then play ball with the NCAA? Well, didn't, didn't and tell them, hey, this is this is what he had me do. And practice. Frost, Frost, uh, for lack of a better his chief of staff also was he just resigned like two or three weeks ago in all of this it's it's bad and also it's not just that it's it, there's a pride element with nebraska nebraska fans are still bowing up to defend scott frost right now i think that fan base in that state still wants to believe they want to hope against hope that scott frost is the answer but you got reports that scott frost is calling oklahoma in the offseason trying to get out of that game so he can schedule another win. You know, they're playing Oklahoma this year in renewal of that rivalry, and it's a big-time game because of the, those two programs and their history. Scott Frost is denying it, saying, oh, that's not my decision. ADs make that decision. No, coaches make those decisions too. So it's, it's a weird time for Nebraska. Especially when you have a new AD. Right. I mean, it's just it's odd that, you know, Scott Frost is trying to back out of this game, the season yeah. leading up to it. Um, they're playing this game on August 28th against Illinois because they had a game scheduled for August 28th in Dublin, Ireland against Northwestern. That got moved to 2022 for COVID protocols, so they kept that date, and they're playing a week early. It's a weird time for Nebraska football. And, Paul, it's, uh, it's a strange tie-in here, but you being in Tampa maybe think of this. Part of what the COVID violations include or, or are accused is that Nebraska, they were not allowed to have organized workouts in the offseason. So what did they do? They <laughs> took it off campus. Went to and, a high school. And that reminds me of what Tom Brady did, uh, where the NFL did not have organized activities. But Brady took his team elsewhere to a private, uh, to a private park and held a public, uh, a, a, I say a public workout. They had helicopters flying over the top of their practice, filming the practice and the workout. Well, and one difference, though, here, Hutton is, and, and Paul is that between the two, at Nebraska, these were actual strength coach coaches leading the workout, is right. what's being yeah. accused. This was not just players deciding, we're going to get together in someone's backyard and work out. Yeah, or, but, I mean, or Titans players saying, we're going to get together at NBA you and, I both and know, work out. There were coaches. We there. all know Bruce Arians knew exactly what of was course. being done with Tom Brady's workouts. I mean, that, that, that well, goes without yeah, saying. Ultimately, I mean, I mean, Tom Brady got a head start with his new guys, and that was a big part of that, yes, that it was yes. new. But also, you know, as, as the players' union urged the NFL guys to stay away in their um, uh, fruitless, ultimately, uh, combat of OTAs, Bruce Arians offered the, the Bucks facility to the players for their sessions separate of coaches. Um, which was interesting and I think uh, somewhat revolutionary. All right, if you guys are going to have your sessions separate of us, uh, come do it here. That you're, you're on our property. Technically, you'll be covered for injuries and stuff, even if the coaches aren't around. I, I don't know if they took them up on that or not, but uh, it was very forward. Chad, on the Nebraska stuff, I'm wondering just 
as these things come to light and such, how much now do they use Tennessee in, in addition to the to uh, what Arizona State and uh, and the other schools as a model for how to get through this stuff as fast as possible without a long drawn out uh, event with the NCAA? Well, and they're treating Nebraska. It's a great question, Paul. Nebraska is treating the NCAA similar to Tennessee. They're 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 being very forthright with them. They're including them in on it. I mean, I, again, I don't know that's the right tack today because it seems like schools like LSU uh, and Baylor can get away with things by just being defiant with the NCAA. I mean, Tennessee's still not going fast with anything. You know, Danny White said something about the investigation and Don DePlowman, the chancellor, slapped his wrist for it and said, stop talking about it. It could take a long time. So, again, I think a lot of people are jumping to the conclusion that this is Nebraska following the Tennessee model to get rid of a coach and try to not pay a buyout to that coach for violations. I also think this is another in a long line of this mentality from people who follow college sports to see a negative story in recruiting or abuse of analysts or abuse of players time and think, oh my gosh, Scott Frost is in so much trouble because he does this. Scott Frost is in trouble because he's losing and he's doing that and he got caught. If you think that Alabama or any other school doesn't do all of this, the difference is at Alabama, people respect and they fear Nick Saban. And everyone falls in line. Everyone. Even if you get fired by Nick Saban, you fall in line because Daddy Saban will bring you back if you fall in line. These are what the great programs are able to accomplish because everyone pulls in the same direction because they all are winning, they're happy with it, and they have a firm system in place of cheating. It's really that simple. Nothing surprises me anymore. Jeremy Pruitt, where do you think Jeremy Pruitt learned about assistant coaches having a second credit card to give to recruits to take a recruit to a strip club if they wanted? Just hypothetically, if that's part of the investigation into one of his bag men. Where do you think he learned that? Maybe he got that from the guy who, I don't know, he took from Nick Saban at Alabama, but it doesn't get out at Nick, with Nick Saban at Alabama because everything is buttoned up. Everyone's pulling in the same direction. They know how to play the system perfectly. And when you start losing, th- this is what's always funny to me is, oh, he, he's cheating and he can't win. Everybody's cheating. Oh, yeah. Their good coaches win. The good coaches know how to do it and get away with it. And they're better at coaching and bringing in talent and developing them. And that's why they win. But everyone is cheating. Is everyone. the fan base turning? Is no. the fan base turning against Frost? Because you've talked for a long time with your family connections about uh, the, just their ridiculous level of patience and faith in this guy. No, they're not going to turn. I mean, Nebraska is a different animal when it comes to anger. They are the slowest to anger. With a coach, they are as patient as can be, and they are going to be uber patient with, with Scott Frost, own. a national championship winning quarterback uh, who's from Wood River, Nebraska. So I think that they're still going to defend Scott Frost. Most of them, you know, there are some people I'm sure who are getting angry at 12 and 20 after three years and now this, this deal. Because, you know, the big thing with Tom Osborne was, whether it's true or not, was, you know, it's kind of Pastor Tom, right? I mean, he didn't have NCAA problems. You know, Nebraska fans like to harp on the fact that we didn't cheat. We did all this and we didn't cheat. Again, whether that's completely true or not, that's the belief in Nebraska. They've been clean with the NCAA for years and years, and and this is yet another black eye on, on top of all the losing.
Well, what we're seeing, uh, sticking with the college football discussion here, uh, the, the Power Five, the, the Power Five conferences is about to be just a Power Four, and that's because of a television and scheduling alliance that is about to take place uh, and, and be official between the ACC, the Big Ten, and the Pac-12. And what this does is you have the 16 schools now in the SEC where you, they can form and create inventory for television production, uh, where they have a great matchup each and every week if they so choose, based on how they schedule out their season. The three conferences I mentioned, ACC, Big Ten, Pac-12, are forming a, a, an alliance for non-conference scheduling, and that would essentially give more programming to other networks that would want to buy that content. It would block out certain schools in the SEC. For instance, in the ACC, we would not see Florida against Florida State any longer. Florida State would be playing non-conference games against one of, uh, an opponent from the other two conferences that I mentioned. But it also effectively crushes and kills and stomps out the already wounded Big 12. And you could say, well, the Big 12 was done when Texas and Oklahoma left. And I agree with you. But now this scheduling alliance, Chad, effectively just snuffs out everything else to do with the Big 12 because they're not included in this. And now they've locked in essentially 57 teams into scheduling in a model for television networks, and none of those teams include any team from the Big 12. I know I'm going to have a lot more to say about this after I hear Paul's take on it. So, Paul, I want to ask your take on this first because it's the big, bad SEC that it seems like a lot of conferences don't want to admit it's the big, bad SEC, but now there's an actual action that's being taken to prevent the big, bad SEC from taking over. What are your thoughts on this? Well, my thinking is how much does the SEC want to play tough out-of-conference games anymore, having added two more tough teams to the conference and upping its schedule? So I'm thinking most of those schools, uh, the out-of-conference games, they aren't looking for too many tough games. They're not going to find them now because those teams are unavailable. And this seems like common sense by ACC, Big Ten, uh, Big Ten and Pac-12. Like, uh, I, I think... I, it shouldn't have taken much for this to come together. I think if you just let things go naturally, that's where you would have scheduled most of your out-of-conference games anyway. You say, hey, the SEC is getting stronger. We need good out-of-conference games. We're not going to help them get even stronger by taking our best teams and getting on their schedule, uh, except maybe your big, big boys. You say we want to challenge ourselves against Alabama or, or LSU if we could get on their schedule. So we're going to, you know, if we're the best team in the Pac-12, we're going to go try to schedule against the best team in the, or a good team in the Big Ten or the ACC. It, it kind of makes sense. I like it because it sounds like there'll be more good games on, this, on the schedule and maybe less cupcake games, which uh, I'm utterly against. I know the SEC will use this as a rallying cry, like, hey, everybody's scared of us. But I think you could also say, hey, the SEC's busy in-house because they're so big now, and so we'll go do our own thing while they're doing their own thing. This is, and I agree with you, Paul, this is, um, this is an attempt, and it's a smart one, uh, if they so choose to go down this path of blocking out the top eight to ten SEC schools from scheduling anyone in these conferences, uh, because it, it prevents the SEC from bolstering itself against these other Power Four conferences 
for the college football playoff that's about to expand. So if Florida loses to Georgia, but they beat Florida State, that's going to help the Florida Gators. What, the, what this alliance would provide is the, the, the Florida Gators don't have that option anymore to help out their own out-of-conference schedule by beating up on someone else that it would lower the overall ranking for the other conferences trying yeah. to make their mark in strength of schedule. That's one thing. Isolate and, them. Yes, yes. And, and the other thing, Chad, is it makes sense from a partnership angle because the Big Ten and the Pac-12 have played each other in the Rose Bowl for over 100 years. And then you have the Big Ten and the ACC who have played in that uh, tournament, in the regular season tournament, the Challenge in college basketball for, what, nearly 30 years now. So the partnerships are there and the angle and the approach, interesting because they're not talking about expanding. They're just talking about let's, let's close the loop and a bracket around the three of us and schedule within whatever is given to us based on what's on paper right now. What sport are we talking about with all this? It's football. 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 I mean, we're, and Paul, you're talking about scheduling and seeing better games and what could that, this alliance could create. And, and I'm with you. It is going to create better games. But it's all about football. So I laugh when part of the rationale through Nicole Arbach, who's reporting a lot of this, that's given to her from Big Ten, ACC, mm-hmm. and Pac-12, is how much these conferences care about school and how much they care about women swimming and how much they care about having more sports than the SEC. It is true. On average, Big Ten has, I think, 23 and a half sports. Um, the, the Pac-12 has 22 and a half. ACC has 21. And then the SEC has 19 sports. So they load up more with, with football, right? But it's not. if it was about the other sports, you would have no need to do this. Because being superior in the other sports would be enough. But we know it's not enough. We know all of these decisions are being based around college football because that's the revenue driver for these conferences. So I wish we would just get away from the, we are like-minded with these other conferences when it comes to academics and other sports and every, it, that's not the reason. You're doing it because, because SEC football is too powerful to contend with and they're going to get all the money. So we're going to prevent them from getting all the money in television deals and we're going to do our own thing and make sure they don't take over the sport, which I'm fine with, by the way. That's part of survival in business. Yes. I mean, that's a good move by those three conferences. But let's not pretend it's because you're so like-minded with the volleyball programs at your schools. It's about football. And that's all it's about. Chad, I think, I think all that stuff is window dressing that pleases the alumni, particularly of the, uh, of the better academic schools in that bunch, right? You throw in, uh, hey, we're like-minded and, and we're all also protecting, uh, you know, our Olympic sports and stuff like that. It sounds good. They shouldn't put it very high on the list of things that they talk about. But I understand that it is on the list of things they talk about because there's an audience that wants to hear it. But, uh, you know, you're not incorrect at all. It's all about football. But if they can have trickle-down effect in what they're talking about that appeals to a certain portion of their fan base slash alumni, I, I, I understand why it's a throw-in to, to dress it up. I think that when you're talking about a lot of the Big Ten, you're talking about Northwestern, Michigan, these are very academically-minded schools. I think when you talk about most of the Pac-12, 
outside of Arizona State. You're talking about some very academically minded schools. I look at Duke and Virginia and Wake mm -hmm. Forest and the ACC and North Carolina and think these are academically minded schools, but you can't have conferences that feature Florida State and NC State and Arizona State and come back and try to shame the SEC into saying we care so much more about school. Louisville in the ACC, for instance, not a top academic university. Uh, I just laugh when I see that about, and I, I, Paul, I, I get what you're saying, and I think with a number of schools in those conferences, they are better than a lot of the SEC schools, but it's not the case throughout. It's not like we're talking about the Ivy League in academics when we're talking about the ACC, for instance. Agree. Paul, st stick with us here. We've got another segment with you from Tampa. We have the VolQuest Power Hour that starts right at noon Central Time, 1 o'clock Eastern with Brent Hobbs and Austin Price. When we come back, we will preview all things Titans and Bucks for preseason game number two. Hit the storylines and we'll discuss the players that we're looking forward, to, looking forward to, to watching on the field and who we expect to see and who we think can play well tomorrow night in Tampa. That's all straight ahead on Outkick 360. Hang with us. Outkick 360 and... I guess we could call this the Tennessee Power Hour bonus edition here at the end of hour number one Super for the size. show. Super size. A, a lot to get, a lot to hit to preview the weekend. Titans and Bucks preseason game number two comes up tomorrow night for the Titans. Six thirty Central kickoff against Tampa Bay. Uh, we saw a blowout, just a, a terrible preseason performance by the Philadelphia Eagles last night as Cam Newton and Mac Jones performed well against the backups of Philadelphia. And uh, New England rolled 35-0. I, I hope we see a much more competitive game tomorrow between the Bucks and the Titans as the backups play. Paul, there's a lot to, to preview here uh, just based on what's been a nice week of work. Both teams probably feel like they accomplished quite a bit. I know the Titans do, uh, albeit Vrabel said yesterday's practice sucked. I, I, I still get the sense that they, they felt like they held their own in practice number one. With that being said, is there one or two players that comes to mind that you say, okay, based on what I saw Wednesday, Thursday, or yeah, Wednesday, Thursday, here's, here's who I hope, I, the Titans hope that they carry over with some good play on Saturday? Well, the first one that comes to mind for me, Hutton, would be Caleb Farley, though I don't know if they're going to roll him out there. Uh, you know, it'd be great to see Caleb Farley after a good day Wednesday and a not good day Thursday to see how he could wrap it up on a, on a Saturday night. Um, and he's not going to be, you know, whoever's out there is not going to be seeing Mike Evans and, uh, and Chris Godwin. Um, but that'd be terrific. But I don't know if we'll see Caleb Farley. Um, you know, I, I suspect not. Um, yeah, you know, so I, I, I'm going to go back. Rashad Weaver, to me, is, is maybe the story going in. You want to see if he carries over what he did last week. Um, you know, and you, you didn't see much, really, from edge rushers in these practices outside of maybe some batted balls and getting their, their arms up in, in the stuff that we were focused on anyway. Um, but can Rashad Weaver carry over that game? Can Logan Woodside do more? I don't mm -hmm. know if the Bucks are going to blitz like the Falcons did. But we also know, I mean, Bruce Arians has come out and said he's not playing his guys. So Ndamukong Sue, uh, Vea, Golson, Jason Pierre-Paul, um, Devin White, Levante David, Shaq Barrett, they're not going to be out there. 
So there's going to be much less, uh, and that's a damn good thing for the Titans, by the way, because even if the Titans played their front-line offensive line, who's available right now, they'd be playing a second-team offensive line, and and, uh, Tannehill or Woodside would be under pressure. I think Woodside should face less pressure this week, not because the offensive line's any better, but because the Bucs, a very good defensive front, are going to be sitting all of these guys who are their star players not that their second level guys aren't good, but there's some premier front guys who are going to be in ball caps. Um, and I, I don't suspect they're going to blitz the way Atlanta did because they don't need to blitz, generally speaking, because of all the guys I just listed. Yep, yep. And I, I, you're right to mention Caleb Farley because he saw more significant 11 on 11 work this week than he's had in any time previously. And I, I am curious up. to see if they, they let him loose because that's the one last hurdle is to see him in a game. And he got significant work in 11 on 11 this week based on reports and what you've told us. Can they, can they loosen the reins a bit on him early? You don't have to play him long but gradually build him up to preseason game number three and have him ready because he is such a key piece to their overall defensive effort in the secondary. They've also got to make a decision here, and it's, it feels like it's already made. Um, but Chris Jackson is is the nickel right now, and, and there's been no movement from that. Elijah Molden behind him. If Farley is going to take over that starting slot opposite Jenkins, then wither Christian Fulton. Um, you know, if, if they're going to start working him inside, it's got to be now when they get back to Nashville uh, right away. Otherwise, he hasn't worked inside at all. Um, and, you know, they've only got one more game where they could get him out there in the, in the slot. So I think he could wind up in a no man's land. Even if Farley doesn't start the season on the outside, that, you know, isn't a starter per se. Um, I would think he'd play a little bit, so then you'd be in some kind of platoonish situation with Fulton, or they scratch Farley for a game or two or whatever, and Fulton plays. But what happens when Farley's healthy? Uh, <clears throat> one of them is going to play, and one of them is going to play substantially less and or not at all. They didn't draft Farley in the first round to play him not at all. He's eventually going to be in there and playing, and if Fulton hasn't played in the slot at all, then he's your third outside cornerback waiting for somebody to get hurt. Yep. That's a pretty low-ranking spot for a second-year, second-round pick who was going to be part of your answer at cornerback. Completely agree. And and we should not overlook Chris Jackson. I got talking with multiple people about just his overall camp. And I, I know he's he's been, been featured quite a bit in your reporting, Paul. Uh, he's played well in camp. And Elijah Molden will have to – and this goes without saying, he's got to outplay him. But this is a big game in order to do that because Molden had a good day on Wednesday in Tampa. Um, and it, it seems though Jackson brought more physicality to yesterday's practice. We certainly know that, that he did with Antonio Brown. All that being said, they're different skill sets, right? Like Jackson's got some savvy to him, but he's more, he, he is faster than Elijah Molden. Elijah Molden, though, is just right he's place. Longer. He's always in the right spot. He, he's got the, the mentality to play the nickel spot. He's not nearly as athletic uh, as Chris Jackson can be in that position. But, it, it, and what I mean by that, he's not top end speed the way Jackson possesses. But he's in the right spots. Can he carry over what's been a good week of work for a rookie 
and potentially make this a, a legitimate battle for a starting role going into preseason game number three. Or, you know, can he find, uh, and I've thought for a long time, it would probably be matchup-wise. You know, Jackson's longer and faster, but Molden has more of a knack for it, kind of what you're talking about, more of an innate sense of how to cover in the slot. Uh, could, could there be changes based on who's lining up in the slot on a, on a given week against them? I'm curious uh, about that. Um, you know, so here we're talking like, hey, it's going to be tough for Molden. It's going to be really tough for for Fulton uh, once Farley's all the way in. These are tough things for Molden and for Fulton. But this team had real depth problems at cornerback last year. And now we're talking about two potentially good cornerbacks who might have to wait their turn, um, you know, with Breon Borders behind them waiting, who's had a, a very good camp, kind of leveled off a little bit now. But, uh, you know, Titans fans should be thinking, hey, hey, we've got some depth at corner a year after damn Jonathan Joseph was was back there, you know, unable to run. So that's a good development. It kind of mirrors what's going on in wide receiver where they're they're suddenly deep with guys who look like they could legitimately play if you needed them to. They're not A.J. Brown and Julio Jones, but the drop off is not nearly as precipitous as uh, as we would have thought. Paul, you go into one practice and you might focus in on the defense. You go to the next practice, you're going to focus in offensively with the Titans. Going into this preseason game number two against Tampa, what is your initial line of focus with this game and what you're looking for out of the Titans? Well, in a game, you can't help but really follow the, the ball. Um, you try to get yourself once in a while to look at, uh, you know, okay, what is Jeffrey Simmons doing? I'm working on something about Jeffrey Simmons that I'm going to write for Monday, I imagine. So I'll try to, if he plays, always a big if, if he plays, I'll, I'll try to watch some specific Jeffrey Simmons plays. Um, uh, these cornerbacks I'm interested in, a lot of it, Chad, depends on that damn lineup. And they don't give you a list ahead of the game, really, who's scratch. Uh, so you're kind of watching and, and writing down in the moment, like who the, who the hell's on the field? Some of those offensive linemen too. I mean, uh, I, I'm curious about Quesenberry and, um, and Sam Brilo, if they would start to try them inside, particularly Sam Brilo. Uh, I, I know he still ha- maybe have, um, a snap count on him, but they've talked about him as a, as a swing guy who could play guard. Now, he might be the starting right tackle right now, but once they're fully healthy and if Raidens eventually gets to be right tackle, could Sam Brilo play guard? I don't know if they're at a point where they could even try that. So um, those are some of the things. I, I'm uh, Also, you know, we've, we're very locked in on Weaver, but what about the other pass rushing uh, outside guys? And, uh, you know, I don't know if we see Landry. I, I think we certainly don't see Dupree. Um, but you'd like to get some pass pressure on, on Blaine Gabbert, who you know is a statue back there. Final thing, I, I feel like we have to mention Dylan Radins, and you briefly did there, Paul, but you know, I, I won't say he took a step forward against Atlanta. It was a step in the right direction. Um, it, it was a, a confidence builder uh, at the very least, at both guard and tackle. He played the majority of the game at tackle after starting the, the game at guard. With that in mind, he also carried over that game into some work this week against some pro bowlers on a very good team and a defense that stepped forward because of their pass rush at the end of last season. So, uh, and, and he probably practiced against guys he's not going to play against 
tomorrow. So with that in mind, this is another opportunity for him to get be a swing element to this offensive line that, that is in need of that. You mentioned Sam Brilo. Raidens can do that. Uh, if sound, it feels like they want him to, to be that guy to begin. Uh, and, and can he eventually get his feet under him and, and be that right tackle backup that eventually is going to surpass whoever they choose to start? I wonder if you couldn't get him a start at right tackle in this game if, if you weren't healthier there you across go. the yeah. line. You right. know, if, if yeah. Aaron Brewer was healthy and could play a, a starting guard spot for you here, you could conceivably get Raiden's outside. Um, I will see a lot of tackle play from him. Look, I know people, uh, and count me among them, are not satisfied with the, the Titans' top two picks not being very good at the start of camp. But I'll, I'll say that both Farley and Raiden's are on an upward track. Is it steep enough? You know, at this stage, you'd always like it to be steeper. But they're both trending up. Now, I don't know where that lands them on opening day. You know, I, I don't know how ready they are for what the real deal is going to be and all of that. But um, I, I think they're moving in the right direction in the big picture. You know, maybe not moment by moment. But, you know, uh, if you look at these couple days and then the next couple days and then the next couple days in batches, those are on an upward trajectory. And uh, those are positives. And then again, they have conceivably enough depth to, to be patient there. You know, we're talking about Fulton as an alternative. We're talking about Sam Brilo or Questenberry as an alternative. They could be in far worse shape. This team is getting deeper. I don't know if it's still, you know, it's still not deep everywhere. And I don't think anybody's deep everywhere. But it's a better scenario than it's been. Titans and Bucks. We will recap the game on Monday. Paul, go hit the beach in the meantime, man. And uh, we look forward to reading your coverage this weekend. Hey, this week's worked out great. I appreciate all of you guys being so accommodating. I hope it's uh, served the viewers and the listeners well, and I look forward to being back in person. Uh, let's change that desk up again on Monday. Sunscreen right. that head, Paul. Yeah. Oh, no, don't worry. Sunscreen, okay, sunscreen and two caps. Solid. Paul Koharski live from Tampa there, and when we come back, we go to Knoxville. Brent Hubbs, Austin Price. A lot to talk about on Rocky Top. 13 days from kickoff of the college football season in Knoxville as they host Bowling Green. So where are they depth chart-wise? Is Heupel about to name a starter at Monday's press conference at quarterback? We'll, we'll discuss that and much more straight ahead on OutKick 360. Hey, it's Jonathan Hutton. Thanks for listening to OutKick 360. Be sure to subscribe to the show to have the latest podcast delivered to you each and every day. And give us five stars. It helps us grow our network and provide you with more great podcasts like this one.